Chapter 9 of The Little Brown Jug at Kildare by Meredith Nicholson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Jeff Blanchard. The Land of the Little Brown Jug. Caboose 0186, with three box cars and a locomotive attached, lay in the southeastern yards at Riley late in the evening of the same day. In the observatory sat Mr. Thomas Ardmore, chatting with the conductor while they waited for the right of way. Mr. Ardmore's pockets were filled with papers, and he held half a dozen telegrams in his hand. The freight cars behind him were locked and sealed, and a number of men lounging near appeared to be watching them. The reply of the sheriff of Dilwell County had precipitated the crisis. That officially succinctly replied to Ardmore's message. Be good and acquire grace. While this dictum had aroused Miss Dangerfield's wrath and indignation, it calmed her fellow conspirator, and for hours Ardmore had poured forth orders by telegraph and telephone. No such messages as his had ever before radiated from Riley. The tolls would have bankrupted the Commonwealth if Ardmore had not cared for them out of his private purse. His forester, with an armed posse from Ardsley, was already following the streams and beating the bush in search of Applewaite. One car of Ardmore's special train contained a machine gun and a supply of rifles, another abundant ammunition and commissary supplies, and the third cots and bags. The men who loafed about the train were a detail of strike-breakers from a detective agency, borrowed for the occasion. Cook, the conductor of the train, had formerly been in the government secret service, and knew the Carolina Hill country as he knew the palm of his hand. Ardmore had warned his manager and the housekeeper on his estate to prepare for the arrival of Mrs. Atchison, whose private car had come and gone, carrying Miss Geraldine Dangerfield on to Ardsley. Ardmore had just received a message from his sister at some way station, reporting all well, and containing these sentences. She is rather different, and I do not quite make her out. She has our noble brother-in-law a good deal bewildered. Cook ran forward for a colloquy with the engineer over their orders. The guards climbed into one of the boxcars, and the train moved slowly out of the Riley Yards to the main line and rattled away towards Kildare. With Mr. Ardmore, pipe in mouth, perched in the caboose Capola. A caboose, you may not know, is the pleasantest place in the world to ride, essentially a thing of utility. It is not less the vehicle of joy. Neither the captain of a trading schooner nor the admiral of a canal fleet is more subliminally autocratic than the freight conductor in his watch tower. The landscape is disclosed to him in leisurely panoramas. The springs beneath are not so lulling as to dull his senses. If he isn't whipped into the ditch by the humour of the engineer, or run down and telescoped by an enemy from behind, he may ultimately deliver his sombre fleet to its several destinations. But he is the slave of no inexorable timetable and his excuses are as various as his cargoes. Not Captain Kidd, nor another of the Dark Brotherhood, sailed forth with keener zest for battle than Mr. Ardmore. Indeed, 
the trailing smoke of the locomotive suggested a black flag, and the thought of it tickled his fancy. Above bent the blue sky in the world. Fields of corn and cotton, the brilliant crimson of German clover, and long stretches of mixed forest held him with enchantment. In a cornfield, a girl ploughing with a single steer, a little girl in a sunbonnet, who reached wearily up to the plough handles, paused and waved to him. And he knew the delight of the lonely mariner when a passing ship speaks to him with flags. And when night came, after the long mystical twilight, the train passed now and then great cotton factories that blazed out from their thousand windows like huge steamships. When they sought a lonely siding to allow a belated passenger train to pass, the conductor brewed coffee and cooked supper, and Ardmore called in the detectives and trainmen. The sense of knowing real people, whose daily occupations were so novel and interesting, touched him afresh with delight. These men said much in few words. The taciturnity of Cook, the conductor in particular, struck Ardmore as very fine and it occurred to him that very likely men who had had the fun of doing things never talked of their performances afterward. One of the detectives chaffed Cook convertedly about some adventure in which they had been jointly associated. I never thought they'd get the lead out of you after that business in Missouri. You were a regular mine, said the detective to Cook, and Cook glanced appreciatingly at Ardmore. He's the little joker, all right. You can't kill him, remarked the detective. I've seen it tried. Before the train started, the detectives crawled back into their car, and Cook drew out some blankets, tossed them on a bench for Ardmore, and threw himself down without ado. Ardmore held to his post in the tower, as lone as the lookout is in a crow's nest. The night air swept more coolly in as they neared the hills, and the train's single brakeman came down as though descending from the sky, rubbed the cinders from his eyes, and returned to his vigil armed with a handful of Ardmore's cigars. For the greater part of the night they enjoyed a free track, and thundered the rails at a lively clip. Shortly after midnight Ardmore crawled below and went to sleep. At five o'clock Cook called him. We're on the switch at Kildare. One of your men is here waiting for you. Big Paul, the German forester, was called in, and Ardmore made his toilet in a pail of water while listening to the big fellow's report. Cook joined in the conversation, and Ardmore was gratified to see that the two men met on common ground in discussing the local geography. The forester described in clear, straightforward English just what he had done. He had distributed his men well through the hills, and they were now posted as pickets on points favourable for observation. They had found along the streams four wildly scattered stills, and these were being watched. Paul drew a small map, showing the homes of the most active members of the Applewaite gang, and Ardmore indicated these points as nearly as possible on the county map he had brought with him. Here's Raccoon Creek, my own land runs right through there. Just about here, isn't it, Paul? I always remember the creek because I like the name so much. You are right, Mr. Admiral. 
the best temper you have lies along there and your land crosses the north carolina boundary into south carolina about here there's mingo county south carolina you see well that dashes me exclaimed admore striking the table with his fist i never knew one state from another but you must be right i'm positive of it mr admore one of my men has been living there on the creek to protect your timber some of these outlaws have been cutting off our wood it seems to me i remember the place there's a log house hanging on the creek you took me by it once but it never entered my head that the state line was so close it runs right through the house and someone years ago blazed the trees along there so it is very easy to tell when you step from one state to another my man left there recently refusing to stay any longer these applewhite people thought he was a spy and posted a notice on his door warning him to leave so i shifted him to the other end of the estate did you see the sheriff at kildare i haven't seen him when i asked for him yesterday i found he had left town and gone to greensboro to see his sick uncle Admore laughed and slapped his knee. Who takes care of the dungeons while he's away? There are no prisoners in the Kildare jail. The sheriff's afraid to keep any. And he's like the rest of the people around here. They all live in terror of Applewaite. Applewaite is a powerful character in these parts, said Cook, pouring the coffee he had been making and handing a tin cupful to Admore. He's tolerable well off, and could make money honestly if he didn't operate stills rob county stores mix up in politics and steal horses when he and his friends need them i guess he has never molested us any has he paul asked ardmore not a little ashamed of his ignorance of his own business a few of our cows stray away sometimes and never come back and for two years we have lost the corn out of the crib away over here near the deer park they've got the juice out of it before this remarked cook that would be nice for me wouldn't it said ardmore grinning to be arrested for running a still on my place we don't want to lose our right to the track and we must get out of this before the whole community comes to take a look at us said cook swinging out of the caboose ardmore talked frankly to the forester having constant recourse to the map, and Paul sketched roughly a new chart, marking roads and paths so far as he knew them, and indicating clearly where the Ardsley boundaries extended. Then Ardmore took a blue pencil and drew a straight line. When we get Applewaite, we want to hurry him from Dilwell County, North Carolina, into Mingo County, South Carolina. We will go to the county town there and put him in jail if the sheriff of mingo is weak need we will lock applewhite up anyhow and telegraph the governor of south carolina that the joke is on him we will catch the man said paul gravely but we may have to kill him dead or alive he's got to be caught said ardmore and the big forester stared at his employer a little oddly for this lord proprietor had not been known to his employees and tenants as a serious character but rather as an indolent person who 
when he visited his estate in the hills, locked himself up unaccountably in his library, and rarely had the energy to stir up the game in his broad preserves. Certainly, sir, dead or alive, Paul repeated. Cook came out of the station and signalled the engineer to go ahead. We'll pull down here about five miles to an old spur where the company used to load wood. There's a little valley there where we can be hidden all we please, so far as the main line is concerned, and it might not be a bad idea to establish headquarters there. We have the tools for cutting in on the telegraph, and we can be as independent as we please. I told the agent we were carrying company powder for a blasting job down the line, and he suspects nothing. Paul left the caboose as the train started, and rode away on horseback to visit his pickets. The train crept wearily over the spare into the old woodcutter's camp, where, as Cook had forecast, they were quite shut in from the main line by hills and woodland. And now, Mr. Ardmore, if you would like to see firewater spring out of the earth as freely as spring water, come with me for a little stroll. The thirsty of Dilwell County know the way to these places as city toppers know the way to a bar. We are now in the land of the little brown jug, and while these boys get breakfast, I'll see if the people in this region have changed their habits. It was not yet seven as they struck off into the forest beside the cheerful little brook that came down singing from the hills. Ardmore had really before in his life been abroad so early, and he kicked the dew from the grass in the cheerfulest spirit imaginable. Within a few days he had reared a pyramid of noble resolutions. Life at last entertained him. The way of men of action had been as fabulous to him as the dew that now twinkled before him. Griswold knew books, but here, at his side, strode a man who knew far more amazing things than were written in any book. Cook had not been in this region for seven years, and yet he never hesitated, but walked steadily on, following the little brook. Presently he bent over the bank and gathered up a brownish substance that floated on the water, lifted a little off it in his palm, and sniffed it. That, said Cook, holding it to Ardmore's nose, is corn mash. That's what they make their liquor out of. The still is probably away up yonder, on that hillside. It seems to me that we smashed one there once, when I was in the service, and over there, about a mile beyond that pine tree, where you see the hawk circling, three of us got into a mix-up, and one of our boys was killed. He crossed the stream on a log, climbed the bank on the opposite shore, and scanned the near landscape for a few minutes. Then he pointed to an old stump over where vines had grown in wild profusion. If you will walk to that stump, Mr. Ardmore, and feel under the vines on the right-hand side, your fingers will very likely touch something smooth and cool. Ardmore obeyed instructions. He thrust his hand into the stump, as Cook directed, thrust again a little deeper, and laughed aloud as he drew out a little brown jug. Cook nodded approvingly. We're all right, 
the revenue men come in here occasionally and smash the stills and arrest a few men but the little brown jug continues to do business at the same old stand they don't even change the hiding places and while we stand here you may be pretty sure that a freckle-faced two-headed boy or girl is watching us off yonder and that the word will pass all through the hills before noon that there are strangers abroad in old dilwell if you have a dollar handy slip it under the stump so they'll know we're not stingy Admore scrutinizing the jug critically they're all alike said cook but that piece of calico is a new one just a fancy touch for an extra fine article of liquor i'll be shot if i haven't seen that calico before said Admore, and he sat down on a boulder and drew out the stopper while cook watched him with interest the bit of twine was indubitably the same that he had unwound before in his room at the guildford house and the cob parted in his fingers exactly as before on a piece of brown paper that had been part of a tobacco wrapper was scrawled this ain't your fight mr ardmore where's the governor of north carolina that's a new one on me laughed cook you see they don't know everything mine reading isn't in it with them they know who we are and what we have come for what's the point about the governor oh the governor's all right replied Admore carelessly he wouldn't bother his head about a little matter like this the powers reserved to the states by the constitution gives the governor plenty of work without acting as policeman of the jungle that's the reason i said to governor dangerfield governor i said don't worry about this applewhite business time is heavy on my hands i said you stay in riley and uphold the dignity of your office and i will take care of the trouble in dilwell and you can't understand cook how his face brightened at my words being the brave man he is you would naturally expect him to come down here in person and seize these scoundrels with his own hands i had the hardest time in my life to get him to stay at home it almost broke his heart not to come and as they retraced their steps to the caboose it was ardmore who led stepping briskly along and blithely swinging the jug end of chapter nine